0: Ooh. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Sing with us. Take my heart, Lord, will you take my heart as I surrender? And until you move me, I'll be still. Take my heart. Take my heart. Lord, will you take my heart as I surrender to I confess you are my righteousness until you move me I
1: resurrection make us safe and so we thank you and we submit ourselves to trust you forever because you made it possible that we will live with you forever thank you Jesus it's in your name we gather today amen would you tell the tech crew and the worship team today how much you've loved their leading And you may be seated. So this morning, I was just so pumped for this service. Generally, I wake up really early in the morning on Sunday mornings, and I'm reviewing things in my head and going over scriptures in my head while I'm just laying there in bed. And at about four o'clock this morning, I'm just rehearsing things and thinking about you all coming, and it's just it's just racing. And then I'm getting changed, and and, and Pam says, "Would you like some breakfast?" So she goes and makes me breakfast, and and I can't. I'm just I'm pumped. I'm just I'm just I can hardly get to the food down. I'm just so excited to be here with you to, to just celebrate on this day, and it's exciting because of the music, and it's exciting because we get to gather together for the celebration, it's exciting for families, because you do family things today, and you did the, perhaps the Easter egg hunt, and you've done all that, that stuff, and, and so I got here I to the office, and, and so I, I, I jumped onto Facebook really quick, because I got here early, because I was so pumped, and, and the reality of Easter hit me. I'm scrolling down through, and I get to our, fen- our friend Phil Branson, who used to be on staff here at Media. And there's this picture. And it's just small, and I know what it is, though, and I, I open it up to larger. And it's a picture of the gravesite of their young son who tragically died a few years ago. It's a picture of the gravesite. With Phil writing underneath it, this is not the end. I said, there it is. That's Easter. Because all of us are going to have to come to a moment in our lives when we say, I know who holds my world. I know who's in control. And you ask people around that tell you, well, that's destiny. That's, that's karma. That's what we do to, to manipulate things so they happen the way we want them to happen. It's the alignment of the stars. Or for those who gather on a Sunday like this on Easter and say, well, it's a divine being. This morning, we begin a journey together, a series of study called Road Work Ahead. Because it often seems that the road ahead of us can be extremely confusing, such as this road. Take a look at this one. <laughs> that would be something you'd see in Erie, wouldn't it? <laughs> Only it'd also have potholes with it. And I'm, and I'm just I'm I'm saying it can't be just luck. Pam and I have some friends who are very close friends. We've known them for over 20 years. And Mel and Joy live in Boise, Idaho. And about two months ago, Joy got diagnosed again with another cancer. And she's been battling cancer and was really free for a long time. And now this is the third type of cancer that she's had. And so they're optimistic, and I called Mel this week. I said, Mel, just checking on you. How's Joy? He said, well, she's been in the hospital for a week because she's under intense chemo and radiation at the same time. And he said, the poison is just eating up her body. And he choked up, and he said, she told the doctor she thought she was going to die. And the doc said, you're not going to die. See, it's got to be more than luck. Luck. Pam and I have some friends that we invited to be with us today and they had all intentions to be here until early Saturday morning when their grandchild went into some severe seizures and they had to rush that child down to Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh and they don't know yet what's wrong with him. It's, it's got to be more than just luck because if that's luck, that's bad luck. And there's got to be something more powerful than that. In the first century, a man named Paul who found himself in prison because of his faith, his belief in who he said controlled his world. And so there he was in this incarceration, writing a letter to his friends in a Macedonian city called Philippi. So totally convinced that he knew who held his world. And so he his opening words include these words, with a very bold statement, and he says this to his friends in Philippi, Philippians 1.6. He says, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work. Have you noticed it's been windy around here? Do you remember, was it a week or two ago, those 50 mile per hour winds came through? Trees were uprooted. Telephone poles went down. We have some friends who who have chickens and the hens were laying the same eggs over and over again in that wind. It was just incredible. (laughs) I'm kidding. That didn't happen. That word that Paul uses there, I am convinced, comes from two words. The first word means conviction. And that, that conviction, in fact, turn to the person next to you and just use that kind of deep voice and go, conviction. See, it's that conviction. Tie that word with the other part of that word, which means strong, blowing wind. It means that he had this strength of blowing wind conviction. It was intense so that he did not waffle. He did not doubt. He said, I'm absolutely convinced. He was so convinced that it, it changed his attitude and his view of life there in that prison. Do you remember the movie Up? I mean, how many of you saw Up? Do you remember the dog with the collar? Remember that dog? And and, and underneath that cone, there's a collar there, and that collar would translate whatever the dog was thinking. And you remember what the dog's famous words were? Word, squirrel. The dog would be communicating with his master. Suddenly, he would go, squirrel, and a squirrel, squirrel. So there is this moment, all in fact, more than one moment, throughout Paul's letter, he is so convicted of what's happening, and there in his prison, throughout his letter, suddenly he pops up and he goes, "Joy. Joy. Really happy. I'm pumped. Joy. Because of this one truth. What God starts, he finishes. In fact, before I got off the phone with Mel, I said, Mel, he was choked up, I was choked up. When we were talking, I said, Mel, there's one thing I know. First of all, if you need us there, we're on a plane, we're there. Secondly, what God starts, he finishes. Please know that. So as the letter begins, Paul writes these words, Philippians 1-2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Said, you want to know who holds your world? You want to know who has control? I will start you here. And I'm in this prison, and I totally understand God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And just the fact we have to ask the question, who's in control, tells us there's a whole lot of ugly injustices out there that are yanking life out of our control. Some of you in here today are struggling with your own cancer, some of you today are going through a nasty divorce. Some of you in this place today have been laid off, and you're wondering how the employment issue is going to pan out for you. Some of you in this place right now are feeling the effects of your addiction, even as you sit here. Some of you in this place blame your loss of control on other people, their decisions, what they did. And some of you in this place blame yourself because you made some really wrong choices, and things got out of control. When the God, our Father, started all this, he turned and said, this is so good. And then he said, let me show you how to keep it good. But we, in our mistrust, tinkered with it. I am not a good tinkerer. I'm just not mechanically inclined. Several years ago, when our daughter was small, we got her a bicycle for Christmas, and we had to put the bicycle together. I had to put the bicycle together. So I'm putting this bicycle together. I mean, what could, what could go wrong with putting a bicycle together? And it got really frustrating. It wasn't going together. So I blamed the bicycle manufacturer. I said, the instructions aren't right. This is, they're just messing this up. A is not going to B, and I can't even find C. And Pam walked in. She said, you're not letting our daughter ride on that thing. So I took it after I had just messed with it. I took it to a bicycle shop. I brought it in and they looked at it, and the guy said, Who has been working on this? (laughs) Some guy. (laughs) He said, To start with, the handlebars are on backwards. Said, Yeah, I know. (laughs) We tinker with this thing that God created for us and then we look at him and bring it back and say, look at the mess. Look what you've done. How could you create? How could there be a loving God with this mess? The prophets for centuries were declaring that God would return and clean up our mess. The Jews called him the Messiah, the one that was coming, the anointed or the waiting king. Jesus of Nazareth shows up and he says, I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. His teaching and his actions seem to validate that claim. Look, when a, when a man who's full of leprosy and his skin is rotting off comes to him and Jesus just touches him, and suddenly the skin is like it's, it's just fresh, there's some validation there. When he comes across people who are so much in turmoil because of demonization, the demons are tearing them up. And when the demons see Jesus, many times they just leave the body. And other times Jesus says, get out of there, and they have to go. There's got to be some validation there. When he can take H2O and turn it into Chardonnay, there's something happening there. When he can say the lake effect, slow down, be calm, bam, there's something there. When he can say to a four-day-old corpse, you get up and live, not like a zombie, but in full life, there's something there. There are those who wanted to press the issue because they thought he was a fraud, so they manipulated the Roman government into executing Jesus. And while he was on that cross, they said to him, all right, come on down. Fix this, because if you can fix that, then we can believe you can fix our broken world, and he didn't. A dead Messiah is a failed Messiah. It seemed like another aborted attempt for God to control what got out of control, and it failed. For years... A couple years ago, for for many years, we were doing Easter musicals. How many of you have been to one of those Easter musicals? Just phenomenal. The people here worked so hard on those, and it was just tremendous. It it was either the last one or the one just before the last one, when the person playing Jesus, a couple weeks before we were to produce the musical, broke his leg. Jesus on crutches does not fly in an Easter musical. So He got to the place where he didn't have to wear a cast and and he could actually move without limping, but there's this this scene coming down the middle aisle where where Jesus is carrying the cross and there's no way that he can go through all of that, so we had to get a stunt double. We found a guy who was about his his stature and and we put a wig on him so that when he's carrying the cross, it's down across his face and the lighting is is dim, so you really can't tell. And meantime, the, the real Jesus is up here with the crowd, kind of incognito, waiting for his moment. And so then he would bring the cross up. He would fall down with the cross. The crowd would gather around. The lighting would be just right. And then the, the fake Jesus would get underneath the cross, and, and, and the real Jesus would get on the cross, and the fake Jesus would crawl out on his hands and knees out the door. And it worked until one evening when the real Jesus got on the cross and the fake Jesus Started out, the spotlight followed fake Jesus. (laughs) Right out the door. Not what we were wanting. He's no longer with the union, we fired him. (laughs) Calvary. The place of the skull. It is a moment that the world spotlights this supposed God and they say he's a fake one. And in his death, he crawls off the stage. But what they don't understand is that he didn't crawl off the stage. He was the stage. For the prophets declared what was happening at the moment that he hung on that cross. And here's what Isaiah the prophet said. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. My pain on him, my sins on him. That's why on the cross, he declared, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I've exchanged with them. While I'm on the cross, I give them everything that's right about me on them and everything wrong about them on me. Now, forgive them. You've got to. And then he declared this it is finished. Not I am finished but it is finished, literally meaning paid in full, paid in full, my sins covered. I love how Bishop N.T. Wright states it. He says this, God's plan to rescue the world from evil would be put into effect by evil doing its worst to the servant, that is, to Jesus himself, and thereby exhausting its power. The death of Jesus of Nazareth as the king of the Jews, the bearer of Israel's destiny, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people of old, is either the most stupid, senseless waste and misunderstanding the world has ever seen, or it is the fulcrum around which world history turns. And that is why Paul the Apostle adds to that title, Jesus Christ, this one word, Lord. Lord. Because here's the deal. We We can be with them and say, look, we understand that our sins have been put on you, but you are dead. And if you are dead, who's still running this world? You're dead. But Jesus said that he would confront the injustice of death and overcome it. Three days after his death, early on a Sunday morning, those ladies who were his followers, gather together the spices they would need to finish the preparation of the body because in the Jewish culture you would prepare the body and then you would leave it in the tomb until all the muscle and the tissue and the, and, and, and the skin would dissolve and a year or so later they would come back and they would take the bones break the bones and put them in a small box and reuse that tomb remember the scripture said that his, none of his bones would ever be broken they were on their way to the grave worried about who was going to, to move that big stone that had sealed it there, and what about the Roman sentry that was guarding it so that his body couldn't be stolen. They didn't know what they are going to do. And when they arrived, the stone had already been moved. The sentry was nowhere to be found, and when they went inside, there was no body. And here's what happened. Luke 24 says this. They were puzzled and wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere it seemed two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. And the men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. Over 500 witnesses would follow, corroborating that report and no one would refute it. You see, they didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the grave because he said so. They believed Jesus was raised from the dead because it happened. They saw it. And if Jesus can do that, promise that he's going to rise from the grave and he does that, can he not do that in what you think is dead in your life? Can't he... Do that very thing, infuse in you what he called would be eternal life. For God so loved the world, he said, that God gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't it that thing that he wants to give us, he wants to infuse into us that life? The prayer for his kingdom to come and his will to be done went through Jesus and into us. And now we breathe kingdom air full of power, potential, potential. Impossibility. So the question is, do you really believe? Let me show you another road sign. So do you believe... That God's intention for you has been so messed up by the world around you or by other people or by the government or by your parents or by that abuser or by whoever that you will never get through with God's work. He'll never get to you. Do you really believe that? Don't miss what Paul said, Philippians 1.5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that, that word partnership is the word koinonia. It, it, it simply means an intimate two-sided relationship. He said, you have an intimate relationship with the gospel. Let me describe to you the gospel. The gospel simply is this. Jesus is Lord because he died and he rose again. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And you have an intimate relationship with that one who rose from the grave, the one who was the Lord, and therefore you can trust his lordship. He said he would die, he would rise again. You can trust him in your life. You see where God starts, he infuses. If you've ever sold a house, you've gone through this This is how you see your house as you sell it. This is how you see it. This is how the buyer sees it. This is how the lender sees it. This is how the appraiser sees it. This is how the accounting assessor sees it. Okay, then listen. Listen. We are just like those houses. There are a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about our value and about our worth. Who do you believe? I want to encourage you this morning to believe God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to believe your Creator and your Savior. He is the one who should give to you your sense of worth. And Paul then says, let me tell you what he's doing for you because he sees you with such incredible worth. He says this. Let me finish out that verse, Philippians 1, 2. May God our Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Grace and peace. If Jesus is alive and at work, then we should expect ability and favor. We live in an unjust world. But into that world, into that unjustness, God infuses his grace. His grace gives us ability to match the moment. If ever you need to see that, it's when he is dead and at the moment he receives this incredible grace, this ability to match the moment, to overcome his death. He said, whatever you're facing right now, because of his resurrection power, you can face that thing and you have more than enough to face that moment. And he infuses favor into our lives because favor gives us results beyond the norm. Favor gives us results way beyond the norm. The things that shouldn't be happening because of his presence, he is there. And we see the results of that presence. I want you to hear this morning how that worked in one man's life. I'm going to ask Joe Bizarro to join me up here. Joe is a a car dealer here in town, and Joe was just really, his dealership was in its infancy, just getting it established when the stock market crashed this last time, and when that crashed, you know that it affected a lot of dealerships, in fact, many dealerships went out of business, Joe, let me have you hold that, how close were you to having to close the doors?
2: I'd probably say we are about 30 days out.
1: 30 days out. Okay, so we're talking about this, and he's talking about, okay, I've got to to trust God in this thing, and so he puts himself in this place where he declares Jesus Lord over his dealership, and as he does that, he asks God to show him what to do, and so God gives him some abilities that he didn't have before. What did you start to do that as you asked God to help you, what did you start to do that started changing things around for you?
2: Well, when you told us it was uh, God's economy, we decided to take into the workplace, um, To have the word every day, to um, have prayer every day. Wow, it's a little nerve-wracking up there. (laughs) To have uh, the word every day, prayer. Uh, We started playing Christian music up through the whole dealership, and we even had the business start tithing, also.
1: Okay. So you felt like God said, here are the things you need to do. And so you did that. Plus, he gave you some some thoughts on, on staffing and, and, and what you need. He, he gave you some practical thoughts on how to make that run better.
2: Yes, he did. He, he really led me towards um, all the people that should be working at the dealership and as of not to be.
1: Okay. So you went through that process, and, and, and God helped you with that, With and, and you, you guys had studies, and, and we prayed at the dealership. And, Every day. And, and God's music. When you, when you still go in the dealership, right. you can hear worship music playing it's it's an amazing thing It's, it's so restful okay so then that was happening and then one sunday we asked all of those people who who felt like they needed god to release an inheritance into your life his favor into your life to, and we pray, we're prayed. we going to pray specifically that he would send clients and and, and, and customers and, and people that were owed money, the money would come to them. And so you stood that Sunday, and we prayed, and you, and you received that favor from God. Yes, we did. Okay, you're 30 days short of closing. What began to happen after that?
2: After uh, my wife and I stood up here and everybody laid hands on us and prayed, um, it was late December. Right after that, that following Monday, we just seen so much traffic and started uh, delivering many cars, and had record months from there on.
1: Okay. So in the middle of, of, of the, academy, the, uh, the economy slumping, mm-hmm. you started having record months. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. I'm not going to tell you that's a formula, but I'm going to tell you that's God's favor and how he works. I'm going to tell you that's, that's how his grace gives ability. If he's alive and at work, then you can also expect confidence and contentment. And and that's the word that he uses when he says peace. See, if Jesus can be raised from the dead, then he can go into what's dead in your life and infuse his life into your dead situation. Lindsay, come join me up here. I promised her I wouldn't get her too many steps because he's wearing heels today. Come here. Okay, so so let me give you a little synopsis. Lindsay's an athlete. In her freshman year, things are going wrong and there's physical problems and they determine that she has heart disease. They work with her and by her junior year, they determine that she needs a heart transplant or she'll die. They take her to the Cleveland Clinic and they put her there waiting for a heart. How long were you at the Cleveland Clinic? Three months. Three months, okay. As you are trusting Jesus. And, and, and during that time, I, I can still remember your sister Amanda sitting right there would, would sit right around the second or third row and hold up her cell phone and you'd listen to his worship. Because you put your trust in a confidence in God. You got to a spot where you just felt like something had to change. And so you got a little radical uh, in, a, in one week and, and you started to do what to your room?
3: My room was covered literally ceiling to floor with things that all of you had sent and other people had sent just as encouragement and i one day woke up and i basically said to my mom i'm just going to go home <laughs> i was 16 and i had a 16-year-old attitude and i said you know they can't hold me here and you know meantime i was dying but i was not willing to accept that and I just felt like it was time for me to leave, and I really felt that God was going to heal me without a heart and without a transplant. I thought that he was going to just heal me.
1: Right. So you had a confidence that he was going to do something, and you're pretty sure it was going to be healing and that you didn't need it. So you began to push against the the authority there, and you told them that you wanted a catheterization to determine whether or not that heart had been healed.
3: Right. Yeah. I basically asked for proof. and um they do not typically do that type of test in the middle. Like while you're waiting for a transplant, they do it before to determine the disease, and then they do it after. They never do it um, in between. And, but I needed that proof. I needed to know that that is what God wanted for my life. I just, I just couldn't accept it until I knew for sure.
1: Okay, so the doc agreed finally. In fact, there had been a prayer that, that the doctor would that night would just wrestle around in, in her own mind until she came to the conclusion they needed to run a test. She came in the next morning and said she didn't get any sleep due to your prayers. And, and so she decided to run the test. But the, the agreement was that if the heart was still diseased, then you would, you would agree to the heart transplant.
3: Right. Okay. Right.
1: So they ran the test. Not only was the heart still diseased, but what did they discover?
3: Not only did they confirm that I did have the disease that they had originally diagnosed me with, but they confirmed that it had actually gotten much worse.
1: What did that do for your name on the transplant list?
3: It made it shoot up.
1: Okay, put you at the top. And in just a few days, what happened?
3: Three days later, I got a call for a heart.
1: Okay, so they did the heart transplant. You had full confidence at that moment that God was still with you because you'd you'd put a test before him, and you were going to go either way he sent you. You're still with this confidence of God. He's still Lord of your life. So you're running through a heart transplant, and so then after the whole transplant and all that's gone through, we began to pray that you would have no rejection. Now, how long ago was it that you had your heart transplant?
3: It'll be ten years this July.
1: And how much? How much? How much, how much rejection have you had? Zero. You just went to have tests run on you, and, and generally, how often do they want to see you to make sure everything's good?
3: Well, it's it, it's been a progress a progression. Um, it started at once a week, and then it went and These are invasive tests that I had to get done once a week, um, and then it went from like once a month to once every three months, and now I'm pretty much at once every six months. And when I just went um, not a couple days ago. They just told me that um, they basically don't need to do those invasive tests for another two years, which is unheard of.
1: That's great. Thank you.
3: And just one more, really quick thing that I didn't even have a chance to share with you is that um, they have also confirmed that um, my nerves have actually um, reconnected, which is very, very unusual. Reconnected with the heart? Yeah.
1: Amazing. That's great. Thank you. It may not be the road that you would have chosen. But because of his resurrection power, you will arrive at his good work. Because here's God's guarantee. Philippians 1.6, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, returns. About 35 years ago, I was with a group of people who were doing a 13-week television series. And we were up in Toronto doing these programs, and, and we never finished an episode, we never finished working until the director would finally say, that's a wrap. So here's the deal. In your situation, in your life, God will not stop working until Jesus Christ shows up and says, that's a wrap. And until then, he continues to hold our world in his hands. And until then, he expects us to grab hold of his grace, grab hold of his favor, grab hold of his confidence, grab hold of his contentment, grab hold of his abilities. He has our world in his hands. So Easter is a declaration universally and personally that Jesus is Lord. It is a declaration that he holds our world in his hands. And so this morning as we conclude, I'm going to invite you to stand. Would you please stand? And would you make this worship expression your declaration as you personally and we corporately declare that he is Lord?
4: It's back. I'm home.
1: follower of Jesus named John who was witness of these things we've talked today then simply said this that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity that if we would believe that Jesus died and took our sins and say here take ours he will do that and remove them from our lives if we believe that he rose again and there's this resurrection power he said I'll pour that into you so that you can live life the way that I designed you to live and it's simply a, a faith thing. It's, it's you saying, I believe. And so before you go today, I invite you just to say, I believe Jesus. And as you're beginning that journey, we have a, a way to help you do that. And if you'll stop by our West Service Center information desk and just ask him for a gift that I've talked about at the end of the service today that will guide you on this path to get you closer to Jesus. And we have people and classes and mentors to help walk you through that. Just give us a call. We'll be glad to walk you through that. Because it's the most amazing, amazing life you could ever live. So please do that. Well, thank you for being here today. Let me pray a blessing over you. Then be on your way and enjoy your family and friends today. So now may you discover once again in a fresh new way the resurrection power of Jesus Christ released into your world and the world that surrounds you. May you enjoy his favor. May you understand the abilities he's placed within you and may you walk in a confidence and a contentment that makes you solid in everything you do in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen god bless you have a great day